Alright. <coughs> Three, two, one, one, three. morning of 14th July 1789 a crowd of parisian workers set out to attack the royal prison of the bastille joined by the deserting soldiers who brought cannons and ignored by the royal army troops camped nearby the crowds forced their way into the fortress by late afternoon killing the governor and parading his head on a pike that evening king louis the 16th reportedly asked the duke this is a revolt to which the duke replied no sire it is a revolution this sentence or this paragraph is from j a goldstone's book and with that welcome to the second part of a political ideologies in this episode we discuss french revolution well why are we still talking about the french revolution it is unique and indeed it is timeless isn't it it's loaded and laden with all flavors of humanity its past its its present and pro- possibly its future and it has its uh, catchy narrative which is euphemistic to the popular movies where the dormant hero who is who when goaded pretty hard rises to react and we will not delve deep into the details of it as much as i would like but certainly we will attempt to present a solid summary of the event and then we'll move on to ask the question why did it happen and finally we'll try to connect the answer to the topic at hand political ideologies welcome to hitchens razor yep and it's yeah, probably sure. the only revolution that's that stood the test of time um and the only revolution probably that was worthwhile because it still has its spillover effects on on the current state of political affairs um the only thing that probably comes closer is the bolshevik revolution but then it died down and it's not as relevant but something so fascinating about the french revolution is that it's still so relevant even to this day and it's probably mm-hmm. probably the only revolution that that's been able to you know do this this is very fascinating right uh i think yeah it's- probably we should give a small recap of what we discussed in the first episode the first episode yeah. we were building up to french revolution which meant the history from the point where we were hunter gatherers and all the way um all the way uh, to the uh, 18th century where we passed through uh, the feudal system um the rise of bourgeoisie and the three r's the reformation renaissance and finally the last year which is the revolution where we are at now we also discussed how about american revolution and uh, the happenings in england netherlands and switzerland uh, before the french revolution um so again um this i have to do i, I apologize like vishnu did last time for all the wrong pronunciations in this episode there are so many um foreign words 
English itself is a bit foreign, so even my English might have bad pronunciations to it. Uh, I can only say I'm sorry. And we are quite gr- we are grateful to the following authors for their great work on the topic, uh, which has helped us immensely to tell the story. Um, I list a, list the names down. William Doyle, The French Revolution. It's a very short introduction uh, published by Oxford University Press. Jawaharlal Nehru's Glimpses of the World, Glimpses of the World History. Um, Jack Goldstone's uh, Revolutions. Uh, it's a, again, it's a very short introduction to uh, the revolutions published by Oxford University Press. And I, I, I don't think I can get the name right, but George Lefebvre. Um, the French oh. Revolution, and um, it's translated to English by Elizabeth Morse Evanson. Mm. Um, His last name sounds like cheese, like French, <laughs> like popular French cheese. <laughs> but then everything French sounds like cheese. So, no, but, but again, it's it's my pronunciation, so I don't know if it, that's the right one. <laughs> Did you know yeah. this pronunciation has nothing to do with pronoun, rather it has everything to do with enunciate or enunciation? That's the so etymology it, of that word. Oh. Yeah, it's really? And is it not etymology? And is it etymology? Not epitomology. It's etymology, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah so I wonder what's the... <laughs> don't know. Uh, that's something else, apparently. Right. Um, I think... Um, yeah, this this has to do with enunciation. Anyway, we, we digress. Mm. I'll get back to... Uh, let's get back to French Revolution, yeah. I was about to ask what is the etymology of the word etymology, but uh, let's leave etymologyception for a later episode and then let's focus on French Revolution, shall we? Mm. Yeah. In the 17th and 18th century, uh, that's where our story is happening, France, or France's attempt to remain a global superpower meant waging war with Prussia, Russia and Britain. And this happened all over the world. Sorry? Like everyone, basically. Like attack your neighborhood, attack whomever you see. And then... Yeah, and this happened all over the world, in Canada, India, and Native Europe, at both mm-hmm. uh, both the land and, and the sea. And because remember, by then, Europeans had developed an insatiable an appetite for tropical and oriental luxuries. <laughs> yep. Cotton, sugar, slaves... Well, um, <laughs> now, <laughs> I just got to add it for that, yeah. <laughs> now, engaging in relentless war meant destruction, and destruction called for rebuilding. Well, rebuilding costs money. During hard times, money demands either financial discipline or, you know it, bankruptcy. For France, it was the latter, and also the recent crop failure meant inflation and the bread prices. Uh, started to rise. Um, so that's the beginning. And at the verge of bankruptcy, the, monar- the monarch Louis the Sixteenth proposed new taxes to raise funds naturally, but it was rejected by the courts or the uh, or the parliaments um, of the uh, ancient regime in France. Uh, the members of the parliament were uh, parliaments were aristocrats who had bought or inherited their offices and the privilege that came with it. And this was, they were sort of independent um, from the king. And the king had uh, tried to get rid of them at some point because they've become uh, an obstacle uh, for the king to get uh, his way. But 
Seeking a solution to this problem, the king called for a meeting with the representatives of the three estates of the realm. The French society, uh, back then, uh, it was classified into the clergy, the nobles, and the third estate. The third estate is everyone else. And clergy yeah. is the god people, and uh, nobles are uh, the rich and powerful and the privileged, yeah. Now, the third uh, estate um, consisted much of bourgeoisie. Um, we had discussed at length about bourgeoisie in the last episode. And the third estate, they refused the proposed taxes because its burden fell disproportionately on their thin shoulders when compared to the clergy and the nobles. Mm. The clergy and the nobles, on the other hand, they wanted a vote on this matter. But since the estates, estates generals voted by order than by heads, it meant any two estates could outvote a third. Um, when I say the taxes fell disproportionately on uh, on the third estate, there is a whole episode that we can do on the loopholes and the way how the tax system worked and how it benefited the top yeah. two classes. <clears throat> or how it still does. <laughs> like, to a reasonable to a reasonable extent. Not as bad no, as I the guess, French Revolution, but yeah. No, I guess it has... Uh, I don't know if we have that split again anymore, but we there are loopholes definitely, but uh, not systematic at least. Yeah, uh, not systematic, yes. Yeah. For sure, for sure. Um, right. So, when the Estates General met on the 5th May of 1789... The third estate demanded that all three categories be merged and the voting shall be done by head instead of order, instead of order. And as you can imagine, the motion was rejected. Now, there were some attempts to um, appease to the third estate by doubling the numbers and everything, but ultimately it didn't work out. There is much story between what we have capsuled into this narrative than what actually happened. So... Yeah, that's that's there. Uh, just a second, I heard a ring, so I try to silence my phone. Yes, don't. Uh, so yeah, uh, the third estate they um, they they rejected the whole proposal. Um, the deadlock went for a few weeks, while the bread prices steadily were increasing, and also the public order now was being compromised sporadically at different places, and. Uh, so finally, the third estate decided to disband from the realm and go solo. Uh, so some some members of the other order jumped ship and joined the third estate, um, mm. which now obviously could not be called the third estate anymore. So they fo- found a new name, which is called the National Assembly. Um, the National Assembly were not allowed to meet in their usual place. So they convened in a tennis court nearby and took an oath to give France a constitution um, with why a tennis much court? equality. Sorry? Why a tennis court? <laughs> I think that's that was, was available and then spacious enough for okay. <laughs> them. I, I don't Logi- know. Logis- logistical <laughs> issues during, during <laughs> a revolution. <laughs> and, and, and not that. I, I don't hope the, the third estate were rather fond of tennis instead of Football or anything and, and, else, and, and and the irony that tennis still remains like a rich man's game, right? Like it's a very aristocratic sport, apparently. Is it? I don't know. To be fair, I think it has limited yeah, like, space. That's what's ironic, I think, because you know, a football stadium yeah, would Wimbledon's have Wimbledon's and everything. You know, you have all the royalty and 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 all that. Jazz. Right. 
Yeah, yeah. get it. Yeah. Anyway, um, so they took an oath in the tennis court nearby to give France a constitution. Uh, this is called the oath of tennis court. Uh, no surprises there. Um, what what this meant was now that that's interesting. I think I think there is one one interesting quote from uh, William Doyle's book. The National Assembly had seized the sovereign power in the name of France nation. It was the founding act of the French Revolution. If the na- na- nation was sovereign, then the king no longer was. So I think this is the starting point of it, where they decided to give France a constitution. Uh, yeah. That becomes becomes a different kind of sovereign nation. Mm. And and the king thought he should react to this social hullabaloo, and then his reaction drove the rest of the cat on the wall clergy and noble separatists to join the National Assembly. Um, more political unrest, uh, bread prices still rising, and suddenly the capital city was filled with twenty thousand soldiers, and much of them were uh, foreign mercenary troops. That's right. So it was not a coup. It was not a coup. It was when you say foreign, like. It, it was oh, no, the, the this is the reaction by the king. So was, he had um, okay. brought in uh, soldiers to control Paris. Now again, mm-hmm. Paris was the epicenter of all this, where the king, I think, uh, um, rested in Versailles or something. So sure. um, anyway, there was twenty thousand soldiers there, and when mm-hmm. the when a German troop desi- tried to disperse a crowd in Paris, the hungry citizens decided to act, and the French guards and the military decided to help the people. um there was an appeal made i think um and instead of they didn't turn against their their own people so that might could be considered a coup um yeah and the, and the revolutionary the revolutionaries they started ransacking the strong points in the city uh, for guns and food um and they stormed into a prison releasing its inmates and brutally killing the guard, the guard commander who had earlier ordered to fire on them and the taking of bastel was complete and that was the fall of bastel and that was the first domino basically that started y- the revolution yeah uh, yes but uh, to be fair uh, the uh, in what we are trying to look at in the podcast is we might see that as the beginning sorry that as the end of the beginning of uh, french revolution um because people think it has it was a uh, brewing uh from a quite a long long time yeah. ago um so it yeah. caught fire then probably but there was definitely mm. smoke yeah as you could yeah, see like you said the prelude to war was always like inflation yeah. red prices there there are economic reasons to yeah and like, like we said the rise of bourgeoisie is one then the reformation of the church is another mm. one where you know people start thinking differently and then then yeah. there is this bit of the change in social thought yeah and yep. that's where we'll be discussing about Voltaire and yes. Rousseau yes. and Montesquieu yes. in the next episode and how the American revolution helped and yes. how the changes in England helped all those so yep. the first one is called the the bourgeoisie revolution that's what the yep. the, the first part of it's called and uh, it's all culminated in in the fall of yep. bastille so this <clears throat> this perfect storm has many elements because it's yes. too perfect a storm so it's it's got uh, to have yeah Yeah, it's, it's got to have multiple um, components involved. Yeah, yeah, that's one thing that we need to remember is not, none of these things happen overnight. For instance, yep. the the convocation of estate estate general was in fact proclaimed in mid seventeen eighty eight. That was a year before. before. Yeah, yeah, 
but i think even the revolution they think some people scholars they think it officially kicked off a year no i mean um, it kicked, the revolution obviously the fire kicked off a year later but some people think that the crisis actually um, began a year earlier when the estate general was announced that is in 1787 is when they think the crisis started to brew officially and started okay it's it, you can't say it's official you know because it's uh, it's sort of blended into the working society then whereas something as a rash and radical as storming of bastille can be uh, pointed yeah, that out as considered yeah 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 um right well how, how many people um, died? I, like, do, do we, do, it's it's do we funny because died? you know the the bastille prison right it it had only yeah. seven inmates <laughs> when it was uh, it. taken <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> so so it's it's ra- you know, it, it's that that's why i said you know it the quote the national assembly when they seized the sovereign power um it yeah. was in the name of the the nation the france nation not in the name of great, the king great. which yeah. means yeah. that's the founding act which means that if the nation yeah. was sovereign then the king no longer was and it's also yeah you know uh, the seven inmates in there what does this mean this means it's a symbol of the fall of royal yes. power and pride yeah. and and so it's not and, it's not about the number of people it's about taking hold of an institution yeah yeah which yeah which is like yeah yeah now how i have put it is it's it's the it's a symbol of the fall of royal power and pride and also it's a release of new ideas uh, pun intended yes. um yeah <laughs> and anyway the no, it's, it's like it's like how we say right it's it's like uh, like a a group of uh, protesters took over a police station hmm. i mean not a single policeman would have been injured but the idea that they took over a police station means something yeah. because it's a capturing is a legitimate capturing of a Certainly, yeah. yeah yeah it it turned uh, bloody after that but uh, we'll come to that <laughs> yeah. i mean the, the revolution not the police station Absolutely. capture yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh well uh, let's talk about the uh, the great revolution so the bourgeoisie revolution when it was over then came the the popular revolution i think it is called the the politics of social antagonism which uh, started in paris have have had now spread to the countryside and it, like i said uh, till now even the national assembly the members were all from the bourgeoisie uh, level and then right. there were peasants uh, still struggling to uh, live uh, right so that that's much in the countryside and uh, there was this uh, the whole feeling which later transcended into paranoia of loss and fear um on both sides as in there were um there was this nobles or the aristocrats or you know uh, people who had the fear of um um losing things or other said which had fear of everything uh, yeah. because Basically it was such a chaos an, in in yeah, anarchy chaos. it's such an yeah close to state of anarchy yeah yeah and it's all it's much of his mind game so you hear news you hear the things now you you know when do you start to react you know yeah. yeah and then who 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 is pelting the first stone and then it all mm. begins and then hell breaks loose but anyway um that's called the popular revolution which happened later um Meanwhile I think the the National Assembly was still working on its promises that they made in the Tenth Court uh, which is specifically uh, to work on a constitution and even more specifically they were working on a preamble to the constitution and it was called um, rights of man which obviously uh, it's we are yeah. all very familiar with 
and when it was finally uh, made public it was called the declaration of the rights of man and the citizen um we will get to that later now it is intentional intentional that i am omitting all the big names here i mean i have mentioned the the king but certainly there are names you would be interested to know uh, which are really prominent obviously but uh, for me we are trying to link this to the ideologies the political ideologies yes. um yes. so i will now summarize some of the interesting events of the in during the french revolution after the fall of bastille so the the popular revolution and then we had the abolition of privileges yeah and then there was this is called the october days again there were yes. when women marched to versailles to escort the king back to paris this is I, th- i think this is very interesting it was all women who went to versailles into the uh, king's palace and then escorted him uh, back to the uh, back to the epicenter of things you know the capital city the paris so uh, that's that's something interesting happened and then the church's property was nationalized remember in the last episode yes. feudal system we yes. told at the top there was pope and church who controlled and owned large um, portion of land and uh, so land. they were at yes. the top of a feudal system as well yeah. which now which was part of the ancient regime uh, which was uh, then status quo in uh, in france um which was so the church property was nationalized nobility abolished parliament abolished there was a civil constitution for church and i think this is very very interesting because you remember how we spoke about the split between catholics and protestants yes and you now you listen to the uh, sentence there was a civil constitution made for church yeah which means yeah. they are also vote on the same level and the people were for it which means as i said the printing and yes. uh, reading everything had p- played a, p- a part and they could read things and uh, they could see through the lies of uh, mm. priests and um, who were claimed to be the messengers of god yeah um yeah if not god <laughs> themselves <laughs> um yes. then then there was war with the neighbors again that's never ending that thing they somehow find it endlessly refreshing to go with uh, go to war with hey, <laughs> neighbors but, but, and what it's quite interesting it's quite <coughs> interesting right like why didn't all mm. these were there any wars during the revolution when they knew that french was uh, the, Fr- the french were in a period of internal unrest you know, mm. any of these guys tried like invade them attack them like I mean, see yeah, that happened a bit 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 later the neighboring countries all they were uh, quite um, apprehensive of the fact that this might happen to their country as well right so mm. th- later they all i think moved against uh, the the revolution in france and mm-hmm. uh, now i ha- i don't have enough details to discuss that but that probably is an interesting topic for another episode we might keep i think we should probably do a long form version of french revolution itself but that's a valid question quite there true. was retribution quite true yeah, yeah. but then I mean, there is like this you know said this is yeah. a very interesting topic it's not something that just the both of us <clears throat> i mean don't want to deep dive into like because the idea even for uh, ideologies because one thing that's so interesting about history and the reason why we talk about history as much as we do is because people like you know karl marx or lenin might come and go like we might not even remember details of of what they did or how they lived but their their ideas still live on uh, 
you, you might not know it it might be in plain sight but those yeah. ideas of revolutions actually still live on and to like you might be for those ideas of what marx stood or like me against those ideas of what marx stood by but unless you understand the time period and the events uh, that led to it we would never know what that ideology is and that's the mm. reason why we we do want to deep dive into such uh, such historical events even though it might be a bit tad bit boring or like uninteresting for a lot of listeners mm. but it's very important to gain context of 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 such yeah. events yeah to quote pg woodhouse there is in one of uh, his books where he says that uh, he compares this to something else i think it was women or love or something where he said it's uh, it's okay. like one of those american cocktails which imperceptibly uh, <laughs> it imperceptibly goes into your system and then it changes into a different person altogether and you want to punch that big lad in the corner <laughs> on your way to home <laughs> so ideologies are like that <laughs> As, you know it lives on and then it creeps imperceptibly yeah. into your system anyway um right so that's that's war and then the famous cry liberty fraternity and then the monarch uh, i have the monarch executed in 1793 and um the monarch is obviously out the king came the guillotines out came the guillotines yeah. <laughs> yeah then then i think uh, the next name should remember remind you of guillotines robespierre and then all the massacres and i'll yeah. end this uh talk about french revolution with the last name starts with n and also ends with n uh, can you guess <laughs> No. Napoleon Bonaparte. Napoleon oh, I, came I, after I, that. I was thinking Napoleon, but I was thinking Napoleon Bonaparte and then I was like there is an e in the end of his name. Like what? Yeah, oh, <laughs> like, yeah, sorry, sorry. I yeah. only thought of one person. Uh, but but anyway. you no, know, you don't have you actually you don't have to apologize because <laughs> his name is that as big that first name basis is enough. You don't yeah. need Bonaparte. <laughs> like oh, which Napoleon? Yeah. You don't need his last name. Yeah. Yeah, so like like I said we have enough content for uh, another whole series but mm-hmm. we must stop now and try to identify the links uh, to political ideology which is the topic at hand yes so why why it's rather a curious an observation that revolutions occur more in middle income countries than um, in the very very poorest of nations in fact french revolution happened when the peasants in Fran- france were better off than the pr- peasants in russia so yes it seems like it seems that revolutions happen when a significant proportion or significant portions of the elites and especially the military military defect and stand aside instead of defending the regime uh so that seems to that seems to have happened in france as well so the other question is what causes revolutions uh, for me i would ask what what keeps uh the societies in in a stable order stable condition what makes a society resilient in a stable society the economic cycle um turns smoothly um the economic wheel turns smoothly anyway mm-hmm. people produce earn pay ta- taxes and still they have sufficient income uh, left to support themselves and their families and also engage in some sort of uh luxuries and 
the taxes paid by the populace reach the ruler who distributes it for uh, various purposes. Uh, one of them back then was protection of its own people from the raiders external or external uh, other yes. countries external yes. factors uh, this yes. sort of keeps the equilibrium uh, by by the institutions of the land the bureaucracy and the the military the the Pop- religion etc yeah just... yeah so what causes this inequilibrium then what causes it um according to goldstone here are some reasons demographic changes international relations economic growth inequality discrimination per- personalist regimes so why did france fail then though the consensus is rather stable at the inexplicable nature of the causation of french revolution or probably too many reasons uh, but from our previous episode there was a point i was try, try there was a point i tried to empathize um with the common people of france in the 18th century um see the masses they had to pay taxes both direct and indirect and then they literally had to pay for their own oppression so <laughs> <laughs> so taxes causes wars <laughs> in, <laughs> or revolutions rather <laughs> Yeah so in in all these the nobles and monarchy they enjoyed their pomp and luxury and it they, it was quite France was quite famous for the pomp and pageantry which we have spoken about so the yeah. hungry peasants of uh, France they were asked to eat grass by a governor and there were millions of professional beggars in France around that time <laughs> I mean they did begging for a profession because they, nothing else to do. anyway so this is what i think you know this is what i yeah. put myself in uh, the shoes and like think about a generation which had witnessed their mothers sure. sisters and grandmothers sure. burnt at stake for sure yeah, yeah. a generation yeah. that was forced into becoming professional beggars yeah the only explanation provided for all this mystery was you know it's either war or religion or war based on religion or whatever mm. so their sufferings being rewarded in another world and after life was another explanation so that came from the religion so Mm-hmm. the rulers i think were begging for a revolution yeah. in, in more colloquial terms they were gagging for it <laughs> and they yes. were gagging for the heads to be cut off and sadly it happened but it didn't it didn't end there so my question is when it started did the european thought change at some point yes how did it change more of that in the next episode until then cheers okay.